Welcome to Five Books for Catholics, where an expert selects and explains five outstanding books in some aspect of Catholic life, doctrine, or culture. One of the charisms that St. Paul lists is the ability to distinguish between spirits, 1 Corinthians 12.10. St. John, on the other hand, warns us, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. The first letter of St. John, chapter 4, verse 1. Indeed, Scripture continually describes how we are under the influence of both good and bad spirits. On the one hand, God influences us through his grace and angels. On the other hand, our own wounded nature and the fallen angels incline us towards sin, often subtly and under the semblance of the good. Discerning where certain motions within our soul come from and whether they point us towards God's will is not only a difficult but a critical aspect of Christian life. Thankfully, the saints, by praying over scripture and their own experiences, offer sure guidance on spiritual discernment. In his spiritual exercises, St. Ignatius of Loyola provides one of the clearest summaries of these principles. In this interview, Father Timothy Gallagher will discuss some of the best books on spiritual discernment. Father Timothy M. Gallagher is a priest of the Congregation of the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. In 1983, he obtained his doctorate from the Pontifical Gregorian University and began his ministry as a spiritual director and retreat leader. He has taught at St. John's Seminary, Brighton, and Our Lady of Grace Seminary, Residence, Boston both in Massachusetts. Since 2015, he holds the St. Ignatius Chair for Spiritual Formation at St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver. He has written over 20 books on spiritual themes, published in Catholic periodicals, and is in wide demand as a speaker. His books include When You Struggle in the Spiritual Life, A Handbook for Spiritual Directors, An Ignatian Introduction to Prayer, Meditation and Contemplation, and A Layman's Guide to the Liturgy of the Hours. So thank you, Father, and welcome. Very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, let's dive right into the theme of discernment. You distinguish between discernment of God's will and the discernment of spirits. What's the difference between the two? They are different, but they overlap in one significant way. So they are different in that discernment of spirits is a question of discerning what Ignatius calls the different movements, motiones, you know, that we experience in our thoughts and in our hearts all day long. All kinds of things are going through our thoughts. All kinds of things are going through our hearts, various emotions of attraction, resistance, joy, anxiety, and, and so forth. And this richness of fluctuating interior affective and cognitive experience is what Ignatius means by movements, the different movements. And what we're doing then is we're discerning what within this flux is of God and what is not of God so that we can embrace what is of God and reject what is not of God. So that would be discernment of spirits. Discernments of, excuse me, discernment of God's will is when we're faced with a choice, we love the Lord, we want to do the Lord's will, 
uh, let's say it's from the largest choice, which might be the vocational choice to maybe career or uh, any, any, really any decision of any significance. Um, and we want to know God's will. And so we engage in a process that leads us toward clarity as to which of these options is the option that the Lord wills. So that would be discernment of God's will. Now I said they overlap because at one very significant point, when Ignatius gives us his teaching on discerning God's will and how we hear God's answer, one of the ways in which God may choose to give us that answer is precisely through the discernment of spirits, through understanding in this interior experience what is of God and where God is leading through it and what is not of God and therefore is to be rejected. I think you've already defined what discernment of spirit is. Where does the Bible talk of the discernment of spirits? Oh, that's as big as the Bible. <laughs> so uh, we could go through the historical books. Um, uh, think of Solomon, for example, you know, his uh, prayer that is so pleasing to God, where he asks for a discerning heart to know what's good and and what is not good. Um, the book of Proverbs, actually all of the wisdom books, this is just everywhere through the Psalms. Think of Psalm 119, for, for example, you know, that long psalm about um, God's word and teach me discernment. You, you see that theme repeated there. Uh, so really, uh, the prophets, you know, the prophets are precisely about discernment to know what is of God and what is not of God. Think of Jeremiah and so many, the false prophets, the true prophets, all of that. And then as you get into the gospel, uh, the Lord speaks about this very often. You know, how is it that you don't know how to discern uh, the signs of the times? When you get into Paul, you have this everywhere. Uh, why don't I just read a couple quotes? Um, so this is one classic text. This is Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. And then with another nuance, and this gets to the gift of discernment or the charism of discernment. So this is that list of gifts that the Spirit gives to the church in 1 Corinthians 12. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, and so forth. And we could go on with many quotes, but discernment is uh, obviously a very central theme throughout all of Scripture. And, for example, would our Lord give us an example of discernment of spirits when he's tempted in the wilderness? Um, that's a really interesting question, because you do have the two different spirits there. Um, I want to say yes to that. And I take just a moment to think on that because this is about as clear and definitive and sharp a discernment that you could ever find. So when the tempter comes, the Lord immediately understands who it is and responds quickly, firmly, and the different temptations are immediately over. And then, of course, the angels come to, to, to uh, minister to him. How does... The discernment of spirits differ from the moral virtue of prudence? Boy, another great question. I would say as a particular to the universal, that is that all 
true discernment is an exercise of the supernatural virtue of prudence. As uh, I guess we're all quoting St. Thomas here uh, on this. And that's where St. Thomas would see discernment. Now, there are two different ways in which a person can exercise discernment. One is as a gift. We call that the gratia gratis data. It's just a charism that God freely gives to an individual for the sake of the church. Uh, let's say where that person works in the church. I think you could probably take as an example of that um, St. John Vianney, probably uh, St. Pio of Pietrocino or St. Padre Pio, as we might know him, and a number of other saints who are given by God a, um, a great deal of light as a freely given charism or gift, which they exercise then on behalf of the many people that come to them seeking light and direction in their lives. But more commonly, discernment is a virtue. And like all virtues, it is learned in the way any virtue is learned by repeated exercise, by learning from others who are more experienced than we are, and so forth. So more specifically, discernment as a virtue would be under the supernatural virtue of prudence. So in that virtue, you know, you have the three uh, acts of prudence. You take wise counsel. You look at everything involved. You come to a good judgment. This is the right option in this particular situation. This is the best means to the end. And then you put it into practice, counsel, judgment, execution. And you have those three acts precisely in the uh, exercise of discernment of spirits as Ignatius understands it. So if you look, for example, at the title to his first 14 rules for the discernment of spirits, that's exactly how he says it. He says, these are rules for becoming aware and then understanding the different movements that are caused in the soul as we described them a moment ago. And then we take action. If they are good, we receive them. And if they are bad, we reject them. Recibir, lanzar are the two verbs. There's a real energy, especially in that lanzar. You know, you just thrust them away from you so that they can never harm you. So the 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 fact that discernment of spirits, when it is done properly on the basis of faith and in pursuit of the supernatural end, which is to love and serve God in this life according to the vocation that he's given us, and so enter into eternal joy with the Lord. When we exercise discernment of spirits in that way, we really were exercising, it, this is one form of exercising the supernatural virtue of prudence. So it's all about a practical situation, a concrete choice to be made between means, and the discernment, the virtue of discernment as we grow in it, gives us increasing ease in seeing which means better leads to our supernatural end. You mentioned St. Thomas, and he also teaches how the different theological and cardinal virtues are perfected by a gift of the Holy Spirit. In the case of prudence, the gift of counsel is one of the associated gifts. The summit of spirit differ from the gift of counsel. Yes, because even with all of our best efforts, our understanding is always imperfect. And so the Lord doesn't just leave us alone. And as you say, uh, specifically in terms of prudence, of, of discernment of spirits, which is a part of the supernatural virtue of prudence, the gift of counsel, 
is um, given by God to strengthen us in doing this. Now, one very uh, clear example of this in uh, Ignatius is this. Ignatius understands that there are at least three different ways in which God may answer the question. Now we're speaking about discernment of God's will. So here is a person, option A and option B, and wants to know God's will. That one of the ways in which God may give that clarity, it's not the most frequent, but it does happen, is simply to make it so clear for the person that the person simply can't doubt then or ever that this is God's will. I think a number of vocations are um, receive their clarity by God in that way. And there you see a, a pure exercise of the gift of counsel. Uh, it's simply God stepping in. Essentially, what God does is to through a gift of the virtue of counsel, supply for the more laborious, normal path toward the counsel that leads to right judgment. Uh, God supplies that clarity and then makes it very clear to the individual uh, which option he wills and also gives a certain delight uh, in uh, embracing that particular choice. And... um. The Desert Fathers work out many of the principles of the discernment of spirits. They hand on to the disciples the lessons learnt during their own spiritual combat. So for centuries, our spiritual discernment was built up and handed down through monastic life. Nowadays, however, most turn to the first two sets of rules that St. Ignatius of Loyola appends to the spiritual exercises. Does he simply provide the best available systematization of the principles of the spiritual discernment, or does he add something new to the preceding tradition? I would say that essentially he does what he does with so many different things that we call Ignatian. He takes the tradition on which he depends and from which he's learned, and by a gift of grace, a gift of the Spirit, is able to express it, systematize might be a way to say it, is able to express it with such clarity and practicality and usability that it tends to dominate the, tra the tradition uh, from that point on. And in fact, I think you can see in terms of discernment, that's essentially what's happened. As you say, there are roots that go back to the Bible, the Desert Fathers, and all the way down through the entirety of our um, tradition through the last 2,000 years. But Ignatius' gift is to receive and then express the tradition with such clarity that we then speak of things like Ignatian discernment. There is, I would say, at least one way in which Ignatius does add something new to the discernment, uh, to the church's understanding of discernment. And that's what I referred to earlier, his understanding that one of the ways in which God will reveal his will when we are discerning his will in a choice, is precisely through discernment of spirits. And the rules that you mentioned equip us for that discernment of spirits. In recent years, discernment has become a buzzword in the Catholic world. This is partly because more Catholics have learned about spiritual discernment and its importance. But in some cases, the term has been appropriated to denote not the examination of my spiritual state and God's concrete will for me within the church, but a critique of the church's definitive magisterium regarding the deposit of faith. This expansive conception of spiritual discernment does not appear to bother about the last set of rules in St. Ignatius' spiritual exercises, those in how to be in one mind with the church, Sintiricum Ecclesia. 
has it become necessary to set the record straight about what counts as spiritual descent discernment and cut out any misguided misunderstandings or misuse of the term? Yes, that's another really important foundational piece for any authentic discernment. You know, the first thing I'd say, Father, is uh, you're absolutely right. I've been sharing this teaching for about 40 years now, and it has never been as widespread as it is now, which is a wonderful thing. But we do need to be, let's say, be Ignatian about it, which is really to be um, solidly in the church. For Ignatius, it's very clear that any discernment, and I'll just quote his own words on this, any discernment that is legitimate must be within, quote, our Holy Mother, the hierarchical church. Uh, that, he says, as a preface to his teaching on how we discern God's will in choices that and then you also have, as you um, cited, you have the rules for feeling with, thinking with uh, the church that he gives at the conclusion of the exercise. Any in Ignatius' understanding, any discernment that will be a true discernment and truly come to the clarity that God desires must be within our Holy Mother, the hierarchical church. Any discernment that would be would involve something that is contrary to the teaching of the church would no longer be Ignatian, which is to say it would no longer be authentic discernment. Um, what led you to your ministry as a spiritual director and retreat leader? Well, I, I first got into this because this is the work of my community. Uh, to sum up an awful lot in a few words, our founder, who is the Venerable Bruno Lanteri, through his own experience and through a really saintly Jesuit who was his spiritual director for 20 years as a seminarian and then as a young priest, came to the conviction that there is nothing in the church as powerful and effective as the Ignatian spiritual exercises to awaken desires for holiness and desire to serve the Lord uh, in the church. And these can be adapted to any setting that you can imagine. It can be the formal retreat in a retreat house. These can be done as parish missions and parishes. People can go through these with regular guidance in their daily life without ever having to leave home. And these can be adapted to whatever number of days people have available. That was his first conviction. The second was the realization that the Jesuits who have this incredibly powerful tool were not founded specifically for that. Their charism is expressed in availability to any need of the church as the Holy Father uh, would see it. And in practice, that has become largely education so that you have a tool that is uniquely powerful. You have far too few priests who are making this available. And so the church needed a community of men who would be formed in this and wouldn't do other things and would help to make this available to the church, understanding that as many as you may ever have making this available, it will always be less than the need. So that's how I initially got into this. But specifically with regard to the ministry that is now full-time for me, at uh, one point I became aware that there was a richness in these, especially I'll just focus on the 14 
rules of the first first set of 14 rules for discernment, which are essentially about understanding and overcoming discouragement in the spiritual life, what Ignatius calls spiritual desolation. And we're all well aware that in every individual life we go through times of that. You know, I will say that in 40 years that I've been sharing this teaching, not one person has ever said to me, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, every everyone does. And, of course, in our current context now, there are larger factors which can cause an awful lot of discouragement. You just think of, well, the pandemic, uh, where the culture is going, the political situation, uh, and so many things that weigh upon people today. So this teaching, when I first began to give sort of hesitantly little half-hour talks on it, um, it caught fire. And what happened was that people just wanted more and more and more of it. And then it moved out of retreats where I first began speaking. I was asked to do seminars on this, uh, first for spiritual directors and then in parishes, religious communities, dioceses, any, any setting you can imagine now. So what has driven this is not that I sat down at a certain point and said I wanted to do this full time. I love doing it, obviously. But this happened because people, once they realize that there is a teaching that can help them understand especially the struggles that they have in the spiritual life. And for most of us, um, through Ignatius' help, for the first time, really understand what's going on and then supplies them with a wealth of tools taken from our spiritual tradition and adapted to this need to overcome that kind of, of discouragement in the spiritual life, then they just can't get enough of it. Maybe I'll just give one example. So Ignatius, in his first two rules, describes in the first rule the person who is far from God and living a life of pretty confirmed serious sin. Think of Ignatius himself up until his conversion at age 30, or Augustine before his conversion, or anyone in that situation. And he describes how the the one he calls the enemy works uh, to try to foster that way of life, filling the imagination with images of sensual pleasures and so forth. And then how the good spirit works. The good spirit works by stinging and biting the conscience, that sense of trouble that a person in that situation can never shake. You see this so beautifully in uh, described in Augustine, you know, the restlessness and so forth. In the hope that if the person receives that stinging and biting action, the person will say, I can't go on like this. Something has to change. And that becomes the beginning of a return to God. Then we get to the second rule which is more likely the rule that uh, people coming for this teaching, or if I may say it, probably anyone listening to this, um, this would be their spiritual situation. And that is the person who, with all of our imperfections, uh, uh, just one falls seven times a day and all the rest of that, but sincerely don't want sin and do want to love and serve God and to grow in living in that way. Now it's the enemy who's going to try to hinder that by discouraging the person and the good spirit who's going to try to encourage that through encouraging the person. And it's more detail than we can get into here. But Ignatius describes four tactics of the enemy to try to discourage us and five of the good spirit to encourage us. So we've all experienced them. This is ordinary. I want to say undramatic, but that doesn't mean unimportant. Uh, this is the stuff of the ordinary spiritual life, which is precisely why it's so important, because almost all of the spiritual life is lived precisely on this level. Well, having said that, uh, this was a woman who was present when I did the teaching, 
And then this may have been a few years later that um, at some other meeting or whatever, um, I chanced to meet her again. And she told me, she said, before we went through Ignatius's rules, I would hear a voice. And this was a woman who was absolutely dedicated to the Lord, uh, very faithful, just living a beautiful life of um, following the Lord Jesus. So clearly a person of the second rule. And she said, I would hear this voice within me that would say, um, you're not what you should be. You, you don't pray very well. You're self-indulgent. You miss opportunities to help others and so on in this vein. And she said, I thought that was God's voice. Now you can imagine how discouraging that is to realize that that's not God's voice, that that's the voice of the enemy trying to discourage me as I try to love and serve the Lord, and that I, my call is to firmly reject that and go forward. She said, that changed everything in my spiritual life. And you know, Father, as I say, I've been doing this for 40 years now, and uh, sometimes I'll have several hundred people in front of me when I do this. It is beyond beautiful to see what happens in people's lives and hearts when instructed by this clear usable teaching of Ignatius for the first time, for many of us, for the first time, they really understand what's going on in their spiritual experience. And then a whole new hope comes into their life because what you don't understand, you really can't do much about. But once you do understand it, you're set free to take action. And Ignatius supplies, I would say, the richest set of tools to reject this kind of discouragement in the spiritual life that our whole tradition um, uh, holds. So people will say things like, um, now I understand what was going on. Everybody should know this, which I agree with. I wish I'd known this 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. My life would have been very different. There's a beauty in that too, however, because what that means is that the, the teaching is really hitting home when we've had experience, enough experience in the spiritual life so that Ignatius' words speak, not abstractly, but they illuminate what we've actually experienced, and we all have. So I don't, I'm kind of perhaps wandered a bit from your question here, but I would love to see every Catholic know this teaching because it would dramatically change much in our lives. And I think, you know, I wrote the uh, first book on this. Uh, I started that in 2003, so that was 20 years ago. I could not have foreseen then just how increasingly important this teaching would become as desolation and discouragement has become widespread. And what I want people to know is that if you've been living in that kind of discouragement or desolation, then know beyond any shadow of a doubt that God never asks of us to live in captivity to these discouraging lies and tactics of the enemy. We are always called to freedom from them, and there is a very clear and usable path to freedom from them. So I wish everybody would learn, let's say, these 14 rules, and it will make a very blessed difference. Did you begin to write your books on discernment because you recognized that there weren't any suitable ones available in English? Well, you know how I came to write the first of the books, which then led to the others. Uh, I had no thought ever of writing books on this. And uh, I was giving this set of talks on these rules, and it was growing all the time. 
And my provincial uh, said to me at a certain point, you really should make this into a book. Um, I didn't really hear that very, you know, many things are said. Sometime later, he said it a second time. And then sometime later, said it a third time. And when he did that, something kind of penetrated, you know, maybe, Lord, you're really saying something to me through this. And so I asked to meet with the provincial and asked him if he was serious about it. He said he was. And we set aside some time. And that's how I began writing the first book. But once you write a first book on this, there are a number of aspects uh, that require other books as well. So that's how the whole series came about. No, I never looked at the uh, at the rest of the literature and said there's a gap in this. I think there was a gap in it, which I would describe this way. I would say I'd like to think providentially. I developed a way of presenting Ignatius's rules that didn't exist, at least in the form in which I was able to express it. And the 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 basis of the teaching, the, there are two principles on which uh, my approach is is are is based. And one of them is that the best way to see what Ignatius says in his teaching on discernment is to look at what he actually says. And that is to almost parse phrase by phrase, sometimes word by word, the dense richness of, of his text. His 14 rules, it's 1,231 words in the original Spanish. So that's about three and a half double-spaced pages, you know, typed. It's not a very long text but he is condensing an enormous amount in a few words. And for most of us who can't presuppose the kind of background that he was presupposing, we do need some unpacking. So that's the first thing. And now it seems kind of obvious when I say that, but uh, in, the only author I found that did that was an author in, um, in Spanish. He was a uh, Uruguayan uh, Jesuit, marvelous uh, commentary on the, on the spiritual exercises and specifically these rules for discernment. So I learned that from reading him. And the second thing was that the best way to make the rules understandable and to help people to see how to apply them is to put them back in their original setting of lived spiritual experience, because these rules were not written in a library. Ignatius does know the tradition. It was mediated to him through uh, a number of sources. But his expression of it comes as a digest of spiritual experience, his own and that of the many people who very quickly after his conversion began coming to him for, for help. So that when you take the rules out of any kind of abstract presentation, this is spiritual exercises, this is about the living of the spiritual life, and you resituate them in lived experience, that's when they really burst into meaning uh, for people. So, for example, to if when I am teaching the first and second rules that I just mentioned, we, I don't start with Ignatius' text. We start with uh, St. Augustine, and more specifically from his confessions, the experience that immediately precedes and leads to that dramatic moment of conversion in the garden. And once you do that, of course, Augustine is a master at describing spiritual experience. So we explore his experience. And in that experience, you see the action of the enemy and the good spirit in one who is far from God. This is what Augustine experiences before his conversion. And then in the moment in which he is striving now for freedom from that and to begin to live in communion with God, you see the action of the enemy to try to discourage that and the good spirit to try to encourage that. 
in Augustine. So once we've seen it there, then we go to Ignatius' text, and um, the experience illuminates the text. So text and experience, and I found that that really works. Now, in terms of existing literature and what this adds, I'd say that there were two pre-existing forms of writing on uh, Ignatius' rules for discernment. One was very in-depth, academic, and technical, and there was some excellent writing on that level, but because of its nature, very few people read it. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you had, uh, I'd say, a good number of um, authors who would describe Ignatius' discernment of spirits, maybe in five to ten pages or so, uh, as part of a larger book on Ignatian spirituality or or, uh, whatever the topic might be. And that also was very useful because without that kind of writing, almost no one would have even known that these rules existed. But in a short treatment like that, you can't do justice to the full richness. And I think what I've been able to develop simply because I was trying to teach this clearly, the the book is really the teaching put uh, on paper. What I developed was an approach that is complete and accessible. And I think that's done uh, a lot to expand the the knowledge and the use of these rules. Would perhaps the first book that of yours that someone should read is Discerning the Will of God, an Ignatian Guide to Christian Decision-Making. Would you agree? Is that the book you would recommend as a place to start? It would depend on why the person is looking to Ignatius's teaching on discernment. If the person is facing a choice, and is seeking help in knowing how to discern God's will in that choice, yes, that would absolutely be the uh, the right book to read. If a person is beginning to recognize that there are these ups and downs, what Ignatius calls spiritual consolation and spiritual desolation in daily spiritual living, and wants help in understanding that experience and knowing how to respond to it, then I'd say the first book, if you want the complete teaching, would be the one that is titled The Discernment of Spirits, an Ignatian Guide for Everyday Living. If people would like a shorter um, introduction to it, if a person is living the married vocation, I've done an application to marriage, and that's called Discernment of Spirits in Marriage, Ignatian Wisdom for Husbands and Wives. If a person is a priest, then I've done a book called The Discerning Priest, which uh, applies this teaching to the to the life of the uh, of the priest. But I would say, if a person uh, is a reader, um, likes to read, then I'd say uh, the discernment of spirits, an Ignatian guide for everyday living, would be the I'd say the first approach to the fourteen rules. Thank you for listening. To read or listen to the rest of this interview, and gain full access to our archive. Visit 5booksforcatholics.com and become a premium subscriber. If you've enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and give it a top rating on the platform of your choice. That way more people can discover it. You can also support the podcast and help us produce more interviews like this one by making a one-off donation via the link given in the show notes. As little as one dollar, one pound or one Europe can help and will be greatly appreciated. Thank you once again, and God bless.